All right, well, we are in the book of Genesis. We're on chapter 29. Uh, when we left Isaac last time, he was running away. Uh, he was, he was, his brother Esau was so upset with him, he had stolen his birthright. And then in chapter 28, he stole his, his blessing. And Esau says, as soon as dad dies, I'm going to kill you. And so Rebecca, Isaac said, Jacob, it's time for you to leave. You need to leave because Isaac, or Esau will do this. And so he's on the run. He's had a meeting with God. God has said, listen, I, you, you may be a scoundrel, but I still love you. And the blessing's going to come through you. But, but there is an immutable, several immutable laws that God has in place. Most of us know, know them because we live here on this earth. One of them is, what would be an immutable law? You're, you're sitting on it right now. Gravity, right? Gravity keeps you in your pew. That immutable law that says, you know, if you, if you stand up, that's fine. But if you go to sit down, you're going to go all the way down, right? That's gravity. And, and actually, if you got enough money, you can get in a rocket and you can go up into space for 12 minutes and feel what it's like. And some people spent a whole lot of money these last couple of weeks for 12 minutes of, I don't like gravity. I don't know what good it did them, but they, they spent a whole lot of money to do that. So gravity is one of them. The other one that catches some of us more often than we'd like is, uh, is it's the first law, first, Newton's first law of motion. It says this, a body at rest tends to stay at rest and a body in motion tends to stay in motion unless it's acted on by an external force. You ever get up in the middle of the night and trip? That's this law, right? Because what's going to happen? You're going to go face down until you hit the floor. And the floor is going to stop you. And you're probably going to pay the price for that. But those are, those are laws. And one of the laws that God puts out is in Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Well, let's look at Genesis and we're going to see how the deceiver, the schemer, right? That's his name. Jacob's name means schemer how it comes back in his life. He's a, he's a deceiver, and in chapter 29, he's going to reap what he has been sowing. Verses 1 through 10. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to a land of the sons of the east, and he looked and saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep were lying there beside it. And from that well they watered the flocks. Now the stone on the mouth of the well was very large. 
And when all the flocks were gathered there, they would then roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place on the mouth of the well. And Jacob said to them in all of his wisdom, my brothers, where are you from? And they said, we are from Haran. That's where he was headed. And he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And he said, we know him. And he said to them, is it well with him? And they said, it is well. And here's Rachel, his daughter, coming with the sheep. And he said, behold, it's still high day. It's not time for the livestock to be gathered. Water the sheep and go pasture them. And they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered and they roll the stone from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. And while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob went up and rolled the stone from the mouth of the well and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Well, Laban is one of these guys, and he's like a lot of people. When you get away with something, it gives you a false sense of confidence. In my years as a police officer, it was always interesting to interview criminals that thought they got away with something, especially repeat criminals, because they would think, oh, I got away with this one, so I'm going to go do another one. And that was, and here's Jacob. Jacob's like, I stole the birthright. I stole the blessing. I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty cool guy. And I have all of this experience raising, raising my father's sheep. And he gets to another place. And he's, this is not time. You, you roll the stone away and water your sheep and, and go get them out of the heat of the day. Don't you guys know what you're doing? You ever met somebody like that? Yeah. I can remember when we would have police officers, lateral police officers come in from another agency and they said, well back in so and so this is the way we used to do it. And that would last for about a week or so until somebody took them aside and said, we're not at your former agency. We're now in Albany, Oregon and we do it our way. And you're welcome to go back where you came from (laughs) and do policing your way back there. But obviously you came to Albany for a reason. But you know, we get this false sense. And Jacob had this false sense that he could tell people what to do. And Rachel comes along, and and Rachel, we're gonna find out later, Rachel's she's a pretty girl, and she's one that he's looking for because he wants somebody from from uh, the family, Laban's family. And he goes, Hey, watch this. It's kind of like going down to Muscle Beach, right? Anybody been to Muscle Beach down there, whatever, by the pier in California? So he goes, says, watch this. I'm going to lift this big old stone. I'm going to roll away, and we're going to water Rachel's sheep. Yeah, I'm a I'm pretty tough dude. He had a false sense of confidence because he had gotten away with things. But it's going to catch up with him. And, you know, we, we can do that. It's, sometimes it's pretty easy for us to do that. But there's a few verses in the Bible that talk about 
having that false sense of confidence. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool is right in whose eyes? His own eyes. But a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Proverbs 12, 23. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but a fool's heart proclaims folly. I'm just going to tell you everything I know. In Proverbs 17, 28, it says, Even a fool, when he keeps silence, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. We have an old saying here, right? It's better to remain silent and thought a fool then open your mouth and remove all doubt. Right? There are times when it's really important for us just to be quiet and listen. Romans 12, 16 says, Be of the same mind towards one another, and do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly, and do not be wise in your own estimation." We, and, and that's talking about what? That's, that's the church. Inside the church, we need to be listening more than we need to be talking because we can be very wise in our own estimation. That doesn't mean that we don't engage in good conversation. We don't bring ideas forward. But when we think we're the smartest ones in, in the room, there's somebody else that's going to show us otherwise. So, he enters this whole, con- this, uh, this whole conversation that's going to be happening with this, I'm the smartest guy in the room. I know more than the shepherds do in this area. I know more than what, what's going on here. That's the way he enters into this whole piece of, uh, that's going to happen in the next the rest of this chapter. So let's go on and let's look to Genesis uh, 29, let's look through 11 to 14. Now Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. And so then Laban heard the news of Jacob, his sister's son, and he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought, to him his, brought him to his house. Then he, re, then he related to Laban all of these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And he, Jacob, stayed with him a month. So this is kind of one of those, wow. You know, Jake, Jacob goes up and lays a lip locker on her. And, and what's going on here? It's a, and uh, some people ask, kissing cousins? Right? So what's going on here? One of the things is, is we think of things from our perspective, right? And in the Middle Eastern culture, when they would greet somebody, much like anybody been to France, if you've been to France, I see Inez, you've been, did anybody do the little kiss on each cheek? No, nobody did that. Well, if you, if you ever go there and, and somebody greets you, they'll do the kiss on each cheek. Well, that's a Middle Eastern custom. And so that's what Jacob would have been doing. I mean, Laban obviously didn't go and lay a lip locker on, on Jacob. He gave him a form of affection. 
You're a relative of mine. Kiss on each cheek. And it's more of a brush than it is a kiss. So, so he was just following custom here. It wasn't, a matter of fact, some people get kind of tied up on this verse, right? Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches in Christ greet you, right? They get, they're like going, what's Paul saying? Because Paul actually says this three or four times in, in his writings. Same thing. He's not saying go up and kiss somebody. He's saying greet each other affectionately. You're brothers and sisters. You're related you know, and I realize not everybody's huggers, but, but don't take this wrong and think that it's, oh, we need to be, you know, just totally grabbing somebody up and give them a kiss on. That's not, not what he's saying at all. So he's just following uh, what would be normal practice for, for somebody there. Now, the interesting part comes at the end. The, what's the last few verses? And he stayed for about a month. Anybody have relatives come over and, hey, yeah, we're, we just want to come visit. And they kind of wear their welcome out. Well, that was Jacob. I mean, he, he comes and he just, okay, I'm here. I'm hanging out. Well, let's go on and let's see what he's doing because this is going to lead into, uh, into some, a very sticky piece for Jacob. So let's look at 29, 15 through 20. And Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relatives, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what will your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's weak eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter Rachel. And Laban said, it's better that I give you her than you give her to another man. Stay with me. And so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. Oh, the love story comes out now. Yeah, oh, the love story. Jacob loves Rachel. I mean, she's good looking. She works hard. Who wouldn't love Rachel? Matter of fact, what was he doing for that month? You know, we used to go visit uh, every once in a while. We'd go visit relatives in Oklahoma and Arkansas when the mill where my dad worked would be on shutdown. And I can remember my uncle had a store in Mena, Arkansas. Well, if you're ever been to Mena, Arkansas, it's about like going to Brownsville. Not a whole lot to do, but I would go to the store and hang out in front of the store. And he would say, my, my real name's Benny. So he, nobody called me Ben when I was little. Benny, go get me one of those watermelons. Well, if you've ever been to Arkansas and seen an Arkansas watermelon, they're about this big. I mean, they're huge. And I was probably eight, nine years old, weighed almost as much as I did. So I'd go over and I'd grab one of those. And, and if I worked really hard, I'd get a soda pop. Well, because, you know, if you don't have anything to do, what do you, what, you know, you don't want to just sit out and do nothing. 
Well, what was Jacob doing? He's a sheep herder. Matter of fact, he thinks he knows more than all the sheep herders around, doesn't he? And what does what is Rachel? What does she do? She was a shepherdess. And she's good looking. So I pretty much imagine that Jacob was out hanging out wherever Rachel was hanging out for that month. And he's like going, and he's he's helping her. Hey, let's let's, you know, let me help you with the sheep. And so Laban comes along. And Laban says, hey, I see what's going on here. Because he laid out, he said, mom and daddy sent me up here to find a wife. And Laban's going, okay. I see what's going on. And he says, hey, what are are your wages? He knows that he wants to marry Rachel. He knows that's what he got in his eyes. And normally, the bride price is set by the father. The father says, this is how much you're going to do, or this is what you owe me. Matter of fact, one of the most famous ones in the Bible is when Saul says to David, I want you to marry my daughter, Michael, because she she's just thinks you're the, the, what's the old term? The bee's knees, right? She thinks you're pretty cool. I want my daughter, Michael, to marry you, and your bride price is a hundred foreskins of the Philistines thinking, oh, David's going to go get killed because I really don't want him to be my son-in-law. But David fulfilled the bride price. Now, Laban, remember, what you sow is what you reap. Laban doesn't set out the bride price. He doesn't tell Jacob, this is what you're going to owe me. Because he knows Jacob's eyes are going, hmm, I, I want Rachel. And he does something that you see sometimes at auctions. Anybody like to go to auctions? I like to go to auctions. They're a lot of fun. And I used to go, when I was at the police department, every year we would do a tree for the festival of trees at the Boys and Girls Club. And so I would go, and it was always fun to watch because there, they always had some people preset to buy trees. And they knew each other. And so what would happen is they would find out whose wife wanted what tree and they'd bid them up. You ever have that happen? Yeah, I watched, I watched my son and we were at, we were at a little uh, auction down and uh, we were buying some rafting equipment and my son got fixated on this one thing and he, he just kept doing this and I, remember I said, I said, son, it doesn't cost that much to buy at retail. He says, but dad, I can't let the other guy win. And, and so Jacob's sitting there going, well, if I name too small of a price, he won't give her to me. And so he says, I'll work for seven years. And Laban goes, all right. Now Laban's got a plan in place already because he knows the customs. So he's got Jacob on the hook for seven years. And what does it say? What does it say about those seven years in verse 20? And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. You know, the pity, pity patter you know, in there. Oh, as, as Bambi would say, you're Twitter-pated. And, and so that seven years went by like nothing, and 
Jacob's going, okay, Rachel and I are going to get married. Well, here's where we have a problem with what you sow is what you reap. So let's look at, at chapter 29, verses 21 through 30. And then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my time is completed that I may go into her. And Laban gathered all the men. Okay, this is important. Laban gathered all the men of the place and made a feast. Now in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to him. And Jacob went into her. And Laban gave also his handmaid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. And so it came about in the morning that behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? Was it not Rachel that I served with you? Why then has you deceived me? But Laban said, it is not the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. Complete this week with this one and we will give you the other also for the service which you shall serve with me another seven years. And Jacob did so and completed her week and he gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. And Laban also gave his handmaid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maid. And so Jacob went into Rachel also. Indeed, he loved Rachel more than Leah and he served with Laban another seven years. Wow, hook, line, and sinker. The smartest guy in the room forgot to look up, what are the wedding rites in the country that I'm in? Oh, the first born has to get married first? That might have been good to know before you said you were going to, you were going to work seven years for Rachel. And, and some of us are probably scratching our head, how in the world did this happen? Well, the deceiver got deceived. Because you have to understand, we think of this, we think of a wedding, right? And we think of, here comes the bride all dressed and white, and she has a veil that you can see through, right? That's not the way that it happens in the Middle East. Where it says, notice that it says in verse 22, and Laban gathered who? All the men, and had a festival. You see, this isn't our kind of wedding. It isn't the bride's people over here and the groom's people over here. This is all the men get together to celebrate. And Jacob is the guest of honor. Matter of fact, he probably has plenty to drink. Because if you'll remember, even when Jesus turned the water into wine at the wedding festival, what do you say? Well, usually you save the good stuff, or you use the good stuff first. When everybody gets drunk, then you bring the bad stuff. But you've saved the good stuff for last? What? So it's this big party that goes on. And the women are over here, off, they're, they're not part of this festival. They're not part of this wedding that's going on. 
And when nighttime comes, out comes the bride. And we think of a veil, right, that you can see through. Well, their veil is completely solid. It's a, it's a piece of cloth. If you've ever seen somebody who's worn a burqa, that's what we're looking at. She is covered from the toes of her feet to the top of her head. And the only thing he sees is her eyes. That's the only thing, that's the only thing he sees until they get in the tent. Now this is not one of those, let's flip in the switch, right, and turn the lights out. You're in a tent and there's no light. Being siblings, they probably were about the same size. And, and you know, she doesn't say anything. So, so they consummate their marriage, and lo and behold, he's been deceived. Do you think he felt like a bit of a fool? When, when you start to reap what you sowed, there's usually a pretty bit of bitter pill to take, isn't it? I've reaped what I've sowed. I've been a deceiver, and now I've been deceived. And Laban was good at what he did. Matter of fact, we're going we're gonna to see next week about how, how Laban, man, this guy's trying, he's always changing things. He's always trying to scam somebody else. But we see here that, that Jacob is deceived he got a dose of his own medicine. Well, let's wander in and look how this ends. We're going to go to Genesis 29, 31 through 35. We're going to end the chapter here. And Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has been my affliction, has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. And then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me a son also. And she named him Simeon. And she conceived again. And bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. And therefore she named him Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she named him Judah. And then she stopped bearing children. God's grace and mercy. God looked down at Leah and said, she didn't, it wasn't her fault. Laban tricked Jacob as much as he tricked Leah. And he looked down and he saw this unloved wife. And he said, I'm going to bless you. And she started having children. Now, I want you to, did you notice what she said each time that she had a child? The first time she says, 
Because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now who will love me? My husband. She was looking in the wrong place for love. What's that song, looking for love in all the wrong places? And we, we do that a lot, don't we? We think the world, we think the world's going to be the one that's going to take care of what we need, the love that we need, and the, the hole that we have, and really it's only God that does that. Yes, the world, we, we can, we, God can, can put somebody in our life, and that's awesome. But if we're not looking to Jesus as our source of love, we're looking in the wrong place. And then she has the next one, Simeon. And what does she say? Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved. He has therefore given me a son also. Oh, my husband's going to love me twice as much because I've got two sons. And then she has a third. And what does she say the third time? Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. She keeps looking to Jacob for the satisfaction, for the love that, that only God can supply. And what happens the, third, the fourth time? What does she say? This time I will praise the Lord. She finally got it. She said, God's been supplying my needs. God has been taking care of me. God's the one that opened up my womb to allow me to have these four sons. I don't have to look for Jacob for that completeness. I need to look for God. And God, in the midst of all of her agony, God looks down and he blesses her. Now, folks, that's the way we are. Isaiah 25.4 says, For you have been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat, for the breath of the ruthless is like a rainstorm against a wall. If you're helpless, God's there. If you're in distress, God's there. If you're in the middle of a storm, we, I was talking with somebody the other day about the storm, right? You're in the middle of a storm. And I took him to the book of Jonah, and we looked at Jonah. And Jonah was the only one in the boat that was disobedient to God. But everybody else in that boat was in the middle of a storm. And it was only Jonah's storm. But who was there? God was there. God was in the midst of the storm with them. He is, we, we need this one right now. A shade from the heat. God takes care of us. Whatever we need, God takes care of us. Psalms 115, 12 and 13. The Lord has been mindful of us. Folks, don't forget that. Don't forget that he has you on his mind. There's a song that I absolutely love. It says, when I was on the cross, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. He loved me before he knew me. He whose glory makes the heavens 
sunshine. So unworthy of his mercy when he was on the cross I was on his mind. The Lord is mindful of us. He thinks about you. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, the small together with the great. It doesn't matter to God if you have a billion dollars and you can fly up into space or you've got two cents to buy your last loaf of whatever it is. God loves you. He's mindful of you wherever you're at. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7 says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at, proper, at, at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because what? He cares for you. In Romans chapter 8, he talks to us and he says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for all of us, how will he not also him Self freely give us all things. Who will bring a charge to God's elect? Who is the one who, God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. I don't care where you are at in life right now. I don't care what trouble you're going through. You may be on top of the mountain. Hallelujah. If you're on top of the mountain, I'm glad that you're there because God is with you on top of that mountain. But for a lot of us, we spend more time down in the valley than we ever will up on the mountain. And the God on the mountain is still the God in the valley. And there is nothing. You can look through this and you can try to find whatever situation you're in. But I've got news for you today. God loves you. And he's there with you. And yeah, you may be, I mean, it, you may be like Jacob. You may, may have spent your life working through life trying to, trying to get the best deal or that deal. And you may have reaped some things that you really wish that you had never sown. But my God is still with you, just like he was with Jacob. He's going to be on with Jacob. We're going to watch Jacob go back to the place. He's going to go back to Bethel. And he's going to wrestle with God. And God's going to touch him. Folks, I want you to know, God is here for you no matter what you're going through. I mentioned the bride price. And the reason I want you to remember that, that thought is the bride price was the price that was set by the Father 
for the price of the bride. Now, folks, you and I, the church is what? We are the bride of Christ. And the Heavenly Father set the bride price in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son as the price for the bride. That was the price that needed to be paid because none of us could earn that on our own. We couldn't pay that price and Jesus paid the price for us. Jesus was the bride price for our salvation. 